our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we left off, we were in chapter 10, the first part of chapter 10. However, it actually concluded the scenario of the healing of the man who was born blind. And in that conclusion that Jesus was drawing, he gave parabolic teachings in his, for the most part, it was a rebuke of the leaders in speaking of himself as the good shepherd and the leaders themselves, that is the Pharisees and the other leaders who did not accept Jesus as Messiah and who did not believe that Jesus was indeed divine. He was God in the flesh. He gave those two particular parables, the good shepherd and speaking of himself and also contrasting himself with the leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And he basically called them thieves and robbers. Then he gave a second parable in as far as the good shepherd, one who genuinely is concerned for his sheep and even to the extent that he gives his life for his sheep. Now, we talked about all of that extensively in the previous video. The second parable, the door and the door that Jesus is the door unto salvation. That is only faith in him and who he says that he is. That is, remember the two titles, son of man, also referencing the Christ the Messiah, but one who will give his life on behalf of his people and also son of God, the divine being, God alone who is able to save. And in understanding that he becomes the door unto salvation. Faith in him alone leads to salvation. That is one can enter into the eternal presence of God. And basically it was with these two parables that we ended this discussion. Now, as we continue on into chapter 10, we move completely to another time frame, that is the Feast of Dedication. We'll talk about all of these things as we move through the text. So let's get started. Verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. All right, we are at the we are at the feast of dedication. Now, the feast of dedication was a feast that occurred in the winter time, around the time of December. So it's about two months after the healing of the man who was born blind in that particular scenario had taken place. Now, in the Feast of Dedication, it was a, it was a seven day, completely eight day celebration, eight day celebration in which there was a lighting of the candles during the time of December to to commemorate the rededication of the temple by Judas Maccabee in 165 B.C., from which in 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes, also called Antiochus IV, had desecrated the temple. He profaned the temple through the sacrificing of a pig on the altar. So it was at this particular celebration that Jesus was at this time, the Feast of Dedication, also called uh, Feast of Lights, which they would do the lighting of the candles. We know this particular celebration today as Hanukkah. Okay, so it was at this particular time, the Feast of Dedication, that Jesus was walking on the Port of Solomon a portico of Solomon, the people gathered around Jesus, demanding of him to tell him clearly 
whether or not he was the Christ, that is the Messiah or not. Say it in plain terms. And this is what they were asking Jesus, which was really kind of weird because Jesus was proclaiming this all along. And they became angry at Jesus sometimes in some of the things that he would say, even to the point that they wanted to stone him to death. That is, especially when Jesus proclaimed that he was God in the flesh. But anyway, so this was the occasion during the time of dedication that the people wanted, as they're saying to Jesus, a firm answer. Say it clearly. Are you the Messiah? Yes or no. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. These testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the, of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Okay, now let's examine this. So Jesus now responds to them and simply said, I have been saying this to you all along. It's nothing new that I am the Christ. He's been proclaiming that he was the Messiah ever since he first went to the temple on that Passover and began to do those wonderful things, wonderful works that he was doing. These works themselves, which were attesting to the fact he is the Messiah and the messianic miracles that he did. Remember the messianic miracles, three classes of them, open the eyes of a man born blind. We just saw that. The healing of a leper, we just saw that as we we have been seeing that all along. And then the casting out of dumb demons, casting out of demons from a person who was unable to speak. We saw Jesus do that as well. So the works that he did, messianic works, indeed proclaimed that he was the Messiah. But let's go back into the verses. So he says, I've been telling you these things, but you don't believe. And the works, the miraculous things that I do, they speak even, can I say it this way, louder than my words, if we can allow it to say it that way. Words speak louder than words. But what did Jesus say? He said, you are not my sheep and you do not believe because you are not my sheep. So let me slow it down. I'm a little bit um, apprehensive because I keep going over the same thing over and over and over. But I guess it's necessary. Once again, we're going back to John chapter six, verses 36 through 41. Remember this thing that Jesus simply said, talking about those whom the father has given to him. This deals with the very principle of election. Election means those who are called of God. And what Jesus was simply saying again in chapter six was the, those who are elect are the gifts of God. Those whom God has given will come to Jesus. The elect are a gift from God to Jesus. And those whom God has chosen from eternity past will indeed come to Jesus. They will come to faith in Jesus. They will come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is son of God, divine. He is God. They will come to this faith 
and be saved and they will never be lost, eternal security. So all of this we talked about in John chapter six. If you need a refreshing of that, go back and look at the video that we made on that particular section. But all of what Jesus is simply saying here, when he talks about them being his sheep, this is what we talked about earlier in John chapter 10. All of this is predicated upon John 6, the elect of God, those who have been given to Jesus from God the Father from eternity past, those who have been chosen unto salvation by the Father. And therefore, it is these people who will who will come to Jesus and are categorized by being called his sheep. And this is what Jesus is once again saying as he alludes earlier to what he said in John chapter 10 in the first section. But let's just stay here. When he said, what, my sheep here, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. If you have been given to me by the father, if you were in, you would be my sheep. And therefore, if you were my sheep, you would hear and believe. Why? I have been saying that to you, that I am the Messiah all along, but you are not believing me. Why? You are not my sheep. Now go back to the foundation. Why are you not believing me? Why are you not my sheep? You, John chapter six again, are not the gift of my father to me. You are not the elect. You have not been chosen even from the foundation of the world to be saved. And this is why you do not hear me because you are not a part of the elect of God. And so that's basically what Jesus is saying in a nutshell. And so he just simply continues and say that his sheep hear his voice and he knows them. Number one, those who have been given to Jesus by the father, the elect will respond to Jesus. They will respond to the message of the gospel and they will respond when Jesus makes certain statements about himself. They will respond in belief. What statements about himself in context here? He is the Christ. If they were his sheep, then when Jesus respond, when Jesus said and claimed to be the Messiah, the son of God, they would hear and believe. And notice what he said. They will follow him. That's the idea of they will believe in him. And what, once again, the reference is still back to John 6. He says, what? I give eternal life to them. They'll never perish. Nobody can snatch them out of his hand. Again, notice how this parallels with the teachings that he gave in John chapter six. That is all that the father gives to me will come unto me. And those whom the father gives to me, I will lose none, but I will raise them at the last day. Why? This is the will of the father that all he given to me. I don't lose any of them, but I raise them all up. And so this parallels once again to what he said in John chapter six. What? I give eternal life to them. They'll never perish. Why? Because they are in the hand of the father. And so therefore they become possessions of Jesus. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? My father who has given them to me. See, they are a gift of the father. And since the father has given the elect to Jesus, 
the sheep who hear his voice to Jesus, no one is able to snatch them out of Jesus's hand. Why? Because you cannot snatch them out of the father's hand. And since they are, and the whole idea is to be taken out of Jesus's hand and to be snatched, taken out of the father's hand, once again, deals with the principle of eternal security. And remember, we talked about this in John chapter six. That's why I was apprehensive about getting into the details of this, because what? We keep rehearsing John six again and again and again. John six deals with two main principles, the elect of God. Who are the elect of God? Who is saved? Who will be saved? Those who have been chosen from eternity past, those whom the father has predetermined to give to his son, Jesus, as a gift. They will come to Jesus, believe in Jesus and be saved. John chapter six also speaks of eternal security. What? And all that the father gives to me, I will lose none of them. Eternal security. In other words, the whole issue, what sometimes we say in a crude sense, in a crude sense, backsliding or losing salvation. The elect of God, those given by the Father to Jesus, never lose their salvation. And that's what Jesus is once again, even here in chapter 10, emphasizing. What? No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Why? They are in the hands of the father and no one can snatch them out of the hands of the father. And why is that? Because the father is greater. The father is greater than all, than any man, even the so-called believer themselves. And notice the context is you cannot be snatched out of the hand of the father because you are a gift to Jesus and you can therefore not be snatched out of the hand of Jesus. And then he says, why is all of this the case? The father is greater than all. And then he makes that magnificent statement in verse number 30. I and the father are one. And I like the way that he says it in the Greek. He says in the Greek, ego ka hapatea hain esmain. Literally, I and the father, one we are. So he is literally emphasizing the oneness that he has with the father. So what is he once again declaring? He is declaring his divinity to have this oneness with the father. Jesus is declaring himself to be God, which is the very essence of the theme of the book of John that we've been going over what? Again and again and again, to the which John has recorded these instances. John has recorded this uh, interaction of Jesus with the people in his gospel because that is the very fact, that is the very point that John is trying to make. He is speaking that Jesus is God. What? John 1 and 1, 1 and 14, in the beginning was the word, words with God, the word was God. What happened? The word became flesh. God became a man, flesh. And so notice what we have here. 
Jesus once again, not even simply saying he is the Messiah. He is now claiming to be God. And even earlier, what did he claim? He claimed to be equal with God. And this is not the first time that we've seen Jesus make a public declaration of his divinity, that he is God. Now, the question becomes, did Jesus mean to say that he was actually God? Was he saying that he was God? The question is answered in the remaining of the text. Now let's go to 31. Look at the response of the Jewish people. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. So it is clear, number one, Jesus was saying that he was God, equal with God. And the people understood when he said, I and the father are one. They understood the statement to be God because what was their reaction? They picked up stones to stone him and they said that the charge against him was what? Blasphemy. And remember, how do you, uh, what is the penalty for blasphemy? The penalty for blasphemy is stoning. And that's why the people picked up stone. So when Jesus saw the people about to stone him, he began to question them. Now notice, he didn't question them at this moment concerning his statement that he was one with the father. Notice once again, he related them to his works. What did he say? I have showed you many works from the father. Now that's good, that's good. So the things that I have been doing, these things, the works, these miraculous deeds that I have been doing. Also, we, are, we understand them as what? Signs. These miraculous deeds come because God the Father has enabled me. And God the Father has enabled me in to do these works to justify, to back up, to attest to what I have been saying about myself. What is my witness what is my proclamation? What have I been saying about myself? I am the son of God. I am God. I am God in the flesh. Remember now, when you hear the title son of God, it always means God. It is just simply a means of identifying the second person in the divine Trinity. So Jesus simply says to them, has not the things that I have been doing these things which come from the Father, these works that come from the Father, are they not attesting to the fact that I am one with the Father, that I am indeed God amongst you? And that's what he means when he said, tell me what the good works that I've done, it, which of them become a reason for you stoning me? And so notice what they said. The people responded to saying, for the works that you have done, we are not stoning you. And that's the problem. That is the problem. The people have not ascertained. They have not understood that the works that Jesus has been doing are literally testifying to what he is saying. They have somehow uh, 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 broken off. They have not related the idea of 
What he does attest to what he says. If he is doing, remember, remember this thing. When they brought a man to Jesus who was sick and Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. And then they got a little angry and began to say amongst themselves, say within themselves, who can, who can forgive sins but God alone? But what? God alone. Now, Jesus knew that they, had, they were thinking this within themselves. And so he, look, he looked up at his man. He looked up at them and said, what is easier to do? To say your sins be forgiven you or simply to say that you will know that the son of man has the power to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. And he fixed his eyes upon the man and simply said, take, take up your bed and walk. The whole idea is if the man was healed and took up his bed and was able to walk, then it is the proof that Jesus was able to forgive sins. And if Jesus is able to forgive sins, then indeed he must be God. It's all a logical connection. The things that I do testify to what I am saying. The problem that the people had was they looked at all of the works that Jesus was did, but somehow they disconnected his works from his message. What was he claiming? He was claiming to be the Messiah, the son of God, but, and by the works that he was doing, they were the proof to what he was saying. But the people never put these two things together. So what did they say? Let's go back to the text. What did they say? It's not the good things that you did, that reason why we're going to stone you now. But notice what they said. But it is because of blasphemy. That is what you just said. What? You said you are one with God. This is blasphemy. And what is the reality? This is the people. You are just a man. And you, by what you just said, this oneness with God, you just made yourself out to be God. And this is why we are going to stone you. So once again, what do we see? Jesus is proclaiming to be God. And Jesus is proclaiming to be God on the basis of what God the Father has enabled him to do. And these things that God has enabled Jesus to do are actually testifying by saying what? Indeed, he is the Christ, the son of God, God. Okay. So now let's continue on with Jesus's response to that. Verse number 34, Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. Now let's deal with that section before we complete Jesus's words. Okay. So Jesus now responds to them. Notice what he says. He takes them to note. Is it not written in your law? Now, when Jesus used the words, your law, he is using this in a 
a, a holistic way of, of speaking because here Jesus is referring to Psalm 82. He's referring to Psalm 82. So when he says your law, he's referring to the whole of what we would call the Old Testament writing. And there in Psalm 82, it uses the term Elohim, which is translated what? God, when it is speaking to the unjust judges in Psalm 82. And actually it's in verse number six. It is all the idea of everything that Jesus is saying is in Psalm 82 as a whole, but even more so in particular in verse number six, <clears throat> when it says, I said, you are gods and all of you are sons of the most high. But it is clear when it makes that statement in calling them gods, it is not referring to them as divine being, but it is talking about them as judges of the people. Go to verse number one. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. That's again, the word Elohim. How long will you do what? Judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked. So that's who God is talking about to the unjust judges, those who are supposed to render justice on the, in the name of Yahweh. And that's their job. You're supposed to give just decisions to the people who come before you in the fear of your God, Yahweh. But instead of these judges giving just judgment, they are, they are favoring the wicked. They're taking bribes and everything else. And this is what God is speaking of. And so he calls them as representatives of God. Verse number six, I said, you, as for me, you are God's. And he uses this terminology for unjust judges, uh, 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 he, that's what he does. He uses that terminology, calling them gods, for unjust human judges. So what does Jesus do? Jesus reflects when he said, you become angry at me because I said that. He said, but is it not written in your law? And they understood it too. That is Psalm 82, that I said, you are gods. He's, so if God calls them wicked judges, God, how can you say, now let's go back here. Uh, if he called them gods, that is the scripture, that is God. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, that is, and you see this in the scripture and you cannot break, you cannot annul and you cannot deny the fact that the scripture did call them gods, Jesus goes on to simply say, how do you say of him now speaking of himself, Jesus now speaking of himself, how do you now say of him that is of me? Tell me what you're saying about you, yourself, Jesus, whom the father sanctified and sent into the world. So now let me deal with that. That's a beautiful thing. And if you go through it too, too fast, you'll miss some things. Him whom the father sanctified once again and sent into the world. Once again, dealing with his pre-existence sent into the world. So even before the world, even before he came into flesh, whom we know as Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, 
He existed alongside the Father. And once again, we can see the allusion to what? John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and what? The Word dwelled, the Word was with God. And once again, Word was God. But nevertheless, here, he says, whom the Father sanctified. And notice that idea of being sanctified. To be sent with a purpose, to be set forth with a purpose. The father sanctified and sent into the world. So this is the whole idea of sanctification means one who is holy, holy and with a purpose. One who is holy with a purpose. You are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. Now we need to deal with that part too. So number one, the first thing that Jesus said was, if he calls unjust judges, gods, how can you say of me that I'm blaspheming when I am uniquely sent from God, the Holy One sent from God? How can you say that I'm blaspheming if he called them gods and they are unjust? How can I be blaspheming when I am the Holy one of God. How can I be blaspheming when there is such a crucial difference between them and me? And he called them gods. And I'm blaspheming because I said that I am the son of God. Now, again, now let me take you back again. Remember what I've been telling you again and again and again about the titles. Son of man refers to what? His humanity. Son of God refers to his what? Divinity. Notice again how Jesus uses the title Son of God. And how is he using the title Son of God? What is the context to the passage? I and the Father are one. What did the people do? They understood what Jesus was saying, that he was calling himself God, and they took up stones to stone him. And what did they say? You're blaspheming because what? You are just a man, but you're making yourself out to be God. So what am I saying? The title son of God simply is a title used to speak of Jesus's divine nature. That is, he is God, but the title son of God is used to make a distinction between the persons of the divine being of God. That is God, the father, mm, God, the son, mm, and God, the Holy spirit. And the son of God is the title used to identify the second person of the Godhead. And in identifying the second person of the Godhead, you are also saying such a one is God. So in essence, the title, the son of God is a divine title. It speaks of his divinity. It does not speak of humanity. It speaks of his divinity, that he is God. Notice how Jesus himself used the term son of God and one with the father. I and the father are one being God. Make yourself out to be God. He uses the terms synonymously, alternatively, son of God, God, both speaking to being God. But anyway, so the whole issue of this particular section right here is Jesus saying, it's a crazy thing that you are saying, I'm blaspheming when I call myself God, but when God himself in the scripture, Psalm 82, 
called Crooked Jokers Gods. Somehow I'm wrong for using the title of being God and I am unique. I am the one whom the Father has sanctified and the Holy One sent into the world with a divine purpose and I am blaspheming. Something's wrong with that type of thinking and that's what Jesus is saying in that. All right, now let's continue. So Jesus once again speaks of the works he ties the works that he does with the attestation from the father. The works, the works that he does is the father speaking through those works to say what Jesus of Nazareth is saying to you is the truth. Verse 37, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand what? That the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. Once again, notice what Jesus did not do. He did not back down from his claim to being God, but he, he put his foot on the gas. He said what? The works that I do. He just talked about the works that, it, that were given to him to do from the father. They testify to him. They testify to his words. They testify to his claims. And once again, what? If I do not do the works of my father, don't believe me. All of these miraculous works are simply saying that what? Number one, these works come because the father has enabled me. Why would the father enable me to do works when I'm making false claims about myself? What is he claiming? To be God. So therefore, because I am enabled to do these works from the father, what I am saying about myself, the father himself is testifying to my claim. I am God. So he says, so what? So if you don't believe what I'm saying for what I'm saying alone, if you don't believe what I'm saying for what I'm saying alone, Fine. If all of you guys are from Missouri, what is Missouri? The show me state. <laughs> if you don't believe what I'm saying, then acknowledge the works that I have done. Believe me for the works. The works are testifying to what I'm saying and who I am. So note, believe me for the works so that you can understand. That's the whole point. Remember I say what they did? They disconnected in their minds the works that Jesus had done, the miraculous works, which were done to prove what he was saying about himself. They made a disconnection. They just simply acknowledged the works, but they didn't acknowledge the message. Okay. The work, the, the, the very reason he did the works to the which, why we call them signs was to prove his message by what I'm doing you know what I'm saying is the truth. But anyway, so he just simply says, believe the works, what? So you may know and understand. Put them together. Put the works together with what I'm saying. What? I, the Father is in me and what? I in the Father. Once again, he just simply reiterates what? I in the Father are one. He just simply restates it again. He never backs down from his claim to be God. And notice, did they understand once again? He wasn't backing down and all he was doing was re-emphasizing the fact he is God 
along with the father? Did they understand his claim to be deity? Notice 39. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. But notice again, verse number 31, they picked up stones again. And then again, 39, they were seeking again. So Jesus had to go through this over and over again. Why? Because he over and over again spoke to the people to tell them he was the Messiah and he over and over again declared himself to be God, one with the Father. Father and Son are one. And notice the people understood it again. And how did they react? Again, with the desire to stone him. And then again, what? The desire to seize him. And they simply wanted to seize him, as it was stated earlier in John, to kill him. Remember what Jesus said? Why do you seek to kill me? A man who has told you the truth as I've heard it from God. That's the whole idea of it. So again, the people are angered with Jesus because he is making claims to divinity that he is God and they want to seize him and put him to death. They wanted to stone him. He temporarily prevented that, but they did want to seize him. And no doubt the idea is to seize him and bring charges, official charges upon him before the Sanhedrin, who would, of course, find him guilty of blasphemy like they did at the very end and ultimately have him crucified. But what? Remember what we said earlier when the people wanted to seize Jesus. Everything must work according to the divine timetable of God. Jesus must be seized and ultimately put to death when God has determined for Jesus to be seized and put to death. He must be, he must be put to death in the manner in which God would have Jesus put to death, that is, on the cross. So he could not die by stoning. And Jesus, all these things that must take place, this is the predetermined will of God for the death of the Messiah had to take place according to God's complete will. So therefore, even though once again, like we've seen it earlier, the people wanted to stone Jesus, the people wanted to arrest Jesus and have him killed, they could not do so. And Jesus was enabled to do what? Elude them. Why? It was not the time. It was not the means or the manner in which he should die. Jesus had to die according to God's predetermined will. So what happened? He simply escaped them. Verse number 40. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptized and he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Okay. And so now we end with Jesus leaving from Jerusalem and returning back on the other side of the Jordan. And the reason for all of this is Jerusalem had become too hot. The people were seeking to kill Jesus. And remember, Jesus will always do the will of the father. He would do. First of all, you cannot kill Jesus before the time. 
But what I am saying here is Jesus is not going to try to do anything to move people simply to try to kill him before the time. So Jesus simply moves out of that situation and goes down back to the other side of the Jordan where he doesn't have to worry about people seeking to kill him at this time. They're going to kill him according to the will of God. But anyway, and so while he was there, many people came and they remember what John the Baptist had said about Jesus. Remember the function of John the Baptist was to point out who the Messiah should be. And so that John the Baptist, of course, pointed out Jesus as the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John pointed Jesus out as the Messiah. And the people reflected that John did point him out as the Messiah. And they began to say to themselves, you know what? John was a great man. And John did point the Messiah out to be Jesus. And you know what, though? Even though John was a great man, he did no miracles. But look at Jesus, the one whom John pointed out. He has done many mighty works indeed. And then the people, these people, these sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. The reason why you don't believe me is because you're not my sheep. What we just said earlier, these people began to believe in Jesus. These people began to make the proper connection between the works that Jesus was able to perform from the father with the things that Jesus was saying about himself. Notice what we have at the very end. They said the works that Jesus performed, then they believed in Jesus. What John said about Jesus must be the truth. They were able to do what Jesus was saying that these people who did not believe in him did not do. What did they not do? They disconnected the miracles from the proclamation. These people here, as Jesus went on to the other side of Jordan, these people here connected the miracles alongside of the proclamation. And when you bring the two together, you come to have faith in Jesus. You believe in who he says that he is because of the things that he has done. Even so, because you are his sheep. Even so, because God, John chapter 6, has given you as a gift to his son. All right, guys, thanks for joining me with that. We have now concluded chapter 10, and now we're going to prepare to get into chapter 11, into one, one of the greatest miracles of Jesus, the resurrection of Lazarus. But anyway, if you have enjoyed these lessons, and if God has touched your heart, and you can say, Pastor Lee, I really appreciate all that you have done. I ask you to come alongside this ministry and support the ministry so that we can continue to bring you these lessons. There is always a link in the description that you can use to donate. And to those who have supported the ministry, let me once again say thank you. And to those who have not yet, but still say, I really appreciate, I have really grown. Let me say, come alongside and support the ministry. All right, enough of that, guys. Thanks for joining me in all of these things. See you next time as we prepare to get into the resurrection 